My name's John. I'm an alcoholic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. And, um, you know, I want to welcome our newcomer, Brian, um, fresh out of rehab. I've been there many times <laughs> and, uh, I've been to rehab and come out of rehab and gone back into rehab. Um, so, you know, I didn't get this the first time. Um, but that, you know, some people do, and they talk about it in the book. Um, you know, I'm, um, uh, I love AA, um, for a lot of different reasons. And, um, we talk about what it was like and what happened, what it's like now, um, experience strength and hope. Um, because what we're trying to do is like, you know, and my aim is to get as many fucking people sober, you know, and, and turn them on to the program through attraction, right. As I can, like, that's my job. Um, you know, um, it's like setting the world straight a little bit. And, and I don't mean like I'm a, uh, you know, knight in shining armor or anything like that, but I'm just saying like, um, the world would be a better place if, if everybody got a little taste of this, you know, um, I think. And, um, also, you know, we'd have a lot less suffering. Um, and you know, bad shit would still happen, but you know, we'd learn how to, we'd, we'd know how to deal with it and we'd be able to talk to each other, you know, in sober ways and, and help each other. Um, I don't know. It's not like, you know, all, all wars would end because fucking human beings are crazy. But anyway, I'm not going to go off on that. I, I, um, I'm just really quickly cause I only have 10 minutes, you know, my story includes, uh, um, drugs, um, includes a, mostly alcohol led to drugs and also, you know, that led to jail, that led to institutions, and was eventually leading to death for me. Um, you know, I did, I did uh, some time, not time really, but uh, I, I got, got caught with a bunch of drugs. And, um, you know, that was kind of like the beginning of the end, right? That wasn't like the bottom. You know, that was when I was 18 years old. You know, I went on to like, you know, drunk driving and like, hitting people, you know, innocent pedestrians while drink, while being drunk in a, you know, driving in a car, you know, and <clears throat> driving the car drunk and, um, all kinds of madness, you know? Um, and I thought I was, I was cool, you know? Um, I thought everything was cool until, you know, the only reason was like, I probably got into my first rehab was because, because, you know, I was spending other people's money and I was lying, cheating and stealing and people were saying, you're an asshole. And I didn't, you know, I got kind of lonely and I was like, yeah, maybe I am an asshole. So I, I, and, and, and also, you know, I was afraid of, of, of a bottom that I could see coming at me. Um, but you know, the weird thing is, is like, I, I got, I got, um, into, into AA at about like really into my first meeting was like when I was 20, they said, and I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Cause they were talking about God, but then, you know, um, it was clear that everyone else thought I had a problem. <laughs> and I say that with a tongue in cheek. Um, and by the time, you know, I, I could see like I was failing at everything and I could see that, that like, I wasn't like a, hanging around people that I liked and I wasn't making my way. And, and I, you know, finally I just, I, I said, okay, well, AA sounds good. I'll, I'll give that another shot. And actually I kind of got, I kind of got into it. But the crazy thing is, is like, only thing I did really was, was go to meetings and, you know, that's cool, but that's not enough. You know, that's not how the program works. And I actually rode for like 15, 20 years on that, you know, and I would go out a little bit here and there and I, 
go 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 out and 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 mess around with like pain medication uh, because I got some you know injury whatever, and I always you know like chip away at something for a little vacation from sobriety, and you know the more and more I look back on it, um, I wasn't working the steps, I, I you know I didn't really have a sponsor, I wasn't really getting the program. Oh, because it didn't, it didn't really fit my personality or that was for like, you know, hardcore alcoholics and addicts. And really that was all fucking bullshit. It was just because I didn't want to, I really wanted to drink again. I really wanted to drink again. And I figured, well, if I could, you know, in the, somewhere in my subconscious, I figured if I could stay sober long enough, well, I could probably go back and drink again and I'll be good, you know? And you know, it's, I don't, I don't think I consciously thought that, but I definitely, I mean, I was white knuckling it for a long time. Let's just put it that way. And, um, so <clears throat> I, I, I was, but I was able to like, at least get some success in my life and, and sort of like start things moving, but I'd always kind of make a mess of things and I never finish anything, you know, I never finish anything. And I, you know, finally got, got a little serious. Like, you know, some people, I, I got, I, I, I met a great woman and, you know, I had some sort of God given instinct to like do the right thing and like stay with her because she's awesome. And, you know, we had kids and, you know, things got real, like real quick. Um, but I was still, I just, I just couldn't, um, I thought I had to do it all myself and I thought I could think my way through it. You know, every little thing that, Oh, you know, whatever. Um, I, 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 um, I just had a little slip, you know, I'm fine. So anyway, Ultimately, I, I we we I was living in New York City at the time. I lived there for about twenty years and went to meetings and shit like that, but never worked the steps. I got back here. I moved back here with my kids, and ultimately, I decided I'm going to drink again. I, I can drink. I can drink a little bit. You know, I'm good. And um, so you know, this is long story short. I ended up ultimately drinking every day and really qualifying for the program. I, I under, began to understand what alcoholism is. This crazy, cutting, baffling, powerful thing that I couldn't stop drinking. I could say, okay, you know, ooh, I, I you know. My wife said, are you drinking? I said, yeah, I guess so. I told her, you know, I said, and, and well, she told me, I tried to lie first and she said, I said, yes. And then it was two more years of lying, you know, and, and continue to drink and saying, oh, I'm going to go to a meeting or uh, my sobriety date will be this date. And that day would go and pass, you know, because I'm still thinking, right. I'm still trying to think my way through the problem. And the crazy thing, I love this more about alcoholism, right? Because it talks about, you know, power, power is our dilemma. Lack of power is our dilemma right? We didn't have the power. We don't have the power. I don't have the power to do this, right? It's, it's the thing that, you know, and, and it's the, 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 whatever, the delusion of every alcoholic that they can drink again. And I proved it. it it's, it's not possible for a person who's an alcoholic to drink normally. And, um, you know, I ended up doing, uh, stealing medication, uh, ADD medication from my daughter, you know, and doing all kinds of stuff I thought I would never do. Um, and finally, it just came down to, um, I, I would say that I remember like at the end, I'd say the serenity prayer every day, every night in my bed over and over and over again while I was fucking tweaking, um, you know, and those are foxhole prayers that didn't do anything because I didn't, wouldn't get off my ass and go to a meeting and actually reach out for help. Finally, I did. So I've got three more minutes to tell you how it works for me now. Um, I went to, it was in pandemic, right? And, and, um, on my last day of drinking, the, the, the lock, the official lockdown started. And I thought to myself, you know, some thought came through to me where, you know, the last good thought I had was there's no way you can lie your way through this. 
There's no way you can get locked in a house and still continue to hide your drinking, <laughs> you know, going out and buying or that like, you know, DoorDash delivering alcohol. My kids are on top of that shit. You know, like, what are you doing, dad? You know, oh, I'm going to the post office, you know, post office closed, dad. You know, oh, I'm going to, you know, it was just, I I, I realized that I, I just couldn't keep it up. And, you know, it was this weird practicality, um, uh, you know, sort of pragmatic decision. And I, I, I had been going to meetings and shit like that. I even had gone to a meeting, one of the oldest meetings in, in the country, in, in the history of AA in New Jersey, when I had 30 days I, and I was like struggling, right? Still hadn't done any steps. And I went there and it was like a spiritual experience. I drank right after that. I drank right after that. So what I'm trying to say is once I got in that, that August, uh, I'm sorry, March 30th, 2020, um, I immediately got a sponsor and I said, I need help. And he took me through the steps. And part of it was this, we started at more about alcoholism because it's a great place to start because that's all about step one. And I realized that, yeah, my life is unmanageable. I need help and I have no control over alcohol. And, um, you know, we worked our way through the steps and did my fourth step. It took me about, you know, a couple months. I dragged my heels a little bit because that thing was still saying, oh, you could, if you do this, it's real. If you do this, it's going to work. And I said, okay, I'm down. I'm going to do it. So we did a great fifth step. We did a whole fifth step in, in one go. And then, and I've got 30 more seconds and I'm going to wrap it up. And then he got me, within six months, I was sponsoring people because, I mean, I, I made amends. I did some, made some amends. And those are kind of ongoing still. Um, I work on those. Um, and the things I learned in the 10th, 11th, 12th step is like, get started right away helping other people. Even if, if you have one more hour than another person, you can help them right? And that's where we get out of ourself and we become a little less selfish. And that's the key. That's that little mustard seed, right? Of faith that if I help somebody, I have what it takes to help somebody. My darkest past is my greatest asset. I can use this to help other people. And that's what keeps me sober, right? Helping other people, getting out of myself, meditating and praying for God's will, for what should I do next? How can I be helpful? How can I useful? be useful? In the 11th step, 10th step, I keep my side of the street clean. If I get mad at somebody, I don't hold, try not to hold on to it. I get mad at people every day. And that's, it says, it says we need to be free of anger. It doesn't say that we don't need, we can never be angry. We need to be free of anger. So it's like, we need to be free of the effects that anger used to have on us and deal with it in a different way. So anyway, um, and finally, you know, just, just trying to, trying to work the, work the 12th step and um, practice these principles in all my affairs. And, and that's a, you know, trial and error a lot of times. Um, but ultimately, you know, just going to meetings does not do it for me. Um, I have to work the full program and that's my message. So, you know, get out there, get a sponsor, work the steps, see how it goes. You might as well give it a try. If you're not doing that, I say, if you're not moving towards uh, the program, you're moving towards a drink, period. End of story. And a death sentence basically is what we have. And that's our only reprieve. That's my belief. Thanks. My name is Elijah. I'm an alcoholic addict, and I have never spoken for 40 minutes at a meeting before. So if I stumble or whatever, please forgive me. Um, I'm grateful to be here. I was very surprised when I was asked to be here. But anyway, uh, well, way back how it was. I was born in New York, nice Caribbean family. Um, I was a, a weird child, didn't know uh, that I was different, but everybody else did. And I got beat up a lot for it. I never knew what was going on. Uh, 
I was, uh, other kids were doing things like playing kids' games and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't interested in any of that. I was a music nut. I heard music in everything. Every sound was a kind of music for me, which made me crazy by the folk standards. Um, my mother, my mother and father were both dancers, and my mother, you know, assumed that I would be a dancer because that's what girls do, and the tutu did not work very well for me. And I wasn't interested. They finally got me a teacher that I was forced to call Aunt Lucy, who was a sadistic bitch. Forgive my language. She taught piano with a ruler, which no one should ever do. Uh, and it turned me off, which is really a bad thing because I'm a lifelong musician. And it's so much easier to write on the piano. So now at uh, 82 years old, I'm studying keyboard harmony because it makes it easier to write on the piano. But anyway, back, back, back when I was a kid. So I was this kind of shy kind of kid um, and um, wasn't really interested in the kids stuff. And I was getting beat up a lot and I didn't really realize what was happening with me. But other kids, kids seemed to know what was going on with me. Uh, I'm gay and I didn't know that. <laughs> I just was a kid and uh, who was interested in music and I was getting beat up all the time. And uh, come from a family, uh, at least my mother's side of the family, un my mother and father's side of the family, unbelievably nonviolent. And so I wouldn't fight back. And that even made me more of a, a target, not to mention the fact that I was smart, which also made me a target. Because in New York schools, to be the smartest kid is not the, is not the thing to be. So I was like a punching bag for a lot of people. I didn't know what was going on and what have you. I never saw people drunk in the family. My my family, very soft-spoken. In fact, the silence in our house was deafening. Um, and um, I never really understood what was happening. But as I say, my mother and father both dances. I was raised around a lot of show people. And um, uh, I knew that music was my road. And Poppy, my father, knew that music was my road and supported me in that. Um, I got to see a lot of the greats when I was a kid, and I was very grateful for that because uh, it helped guide me on the road that I was that was for me. And I was told very young that if you do decide to to accept this this gift, that means you have can let nothing else get in the way, and that's what you do. And so I had no problem with accepting that. I just thought I was crazy because everybody else thought I was crazy. Um, I when I was uh, I guess I know how old I was 11, 12, something like that. I was interested in, in, introduced rather than not interested introduced to drugs. Uh, I have to mention drugs folks because unlike uh, my friend who spoke before, alcohol didn't lead me to drugs. drugs led me to alcohol. And I got into the hard drugs and what have you good friends of mine, older friends uh, introduced me. It's always a friend, isn't that interesting who introduces us to the death sentence? And I got into it, and because I was so greedy, I OD'd a few times, and uh, and that that ended that real quick. I didn't quite know what was going on, except that uh, I didn't listen to anybody in the program that I wound up in. I could care less. I just was glad to be free of that, and uh, and I thought I was Superwoman. You know, I had kicked the hard stuff, and I, you know, I I never, you know, I never even thought about alcohol because I hated it. Well, when I think about it in retrospect, when you talk about, you'll hear people in these meetings, especially newcomers, you'll hear people talk about peeling the onion, what happens. The longer we're sober, the longer we learn about ourselves. And, uh, and that's what happened. After I'd been sober for years, 
I started remembering stuff that I had forgotten. I remember when I left home, I left home when I was 15 because it was really horrendous. My mother and father divorced very early and I hated my stepfather and I did not have much life for my mother either. And so I left home, I was living by myself and I remember I would have people buy me a bottle of rum and I drink a shot every night. I hated alcohol. I hated the way it tasted. I never even thought about it. I didn't even remember it until, as I say, I was sober for quite a few years. But anyway, um, I started playing my music. I was doing all the stuff that you do as a musician, as a kid musician and a, and a writer. And, uh, and then little by little, I don't know when it started happening, alcohol jumped in there. And everything drugs didn't have a chance to do to me, alcohol did. It whipped my behind. People talk about maintenance habits on hard drugs. I very seldom have heard people talk about being a maintenance alcoholic, but I think a whole lot of us are. We just don't talk about it, you know? And I was a maintenance alcoholic. I was never a very sociable person. Uh, I was never uh, into drinking because it made me more sociable. It didn't make me feel any prettier. It didn't make me part of the group more. I wasn't interested in any of that stuff. Um, I drank because I drank. I drank because you had some. I drank because it was available. I drank because your grandmother had just died. I drank because your kid just graduated from school. I just drank and I never really understood it. I just drank and I drank and I drank. And at the very end, it was an everyday thing. I eventually had two daughters um, and I wound up being a sole uh, a parent, uh, a single mother raising these two girls. My oldest daughter became the head of the household. And I always apologize at every meeting I speak at to anybody in that meeting. Oh God, if I start crying again. Uh, if you had a mother or father like I was, we don't do it because we're mean and sadistic. We do it because we're very sick. And um, we're not the best parents on earth. So my oldest daughter became my mother. She was the head of the household. She took care of my youngest daughter. She took care of me. She took care of all the lies you need to do to protect a parent who is completely absent emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually, and what have you, because every evening I left and I drank. And my kids never saw me drinking. I didn't drink at home. And so I never, uh, I never even knew that they knew, except they do know because my daughter would send people after me. She knew every bar in Harlem to send them after me. And one day at nine years old, she jumped me. She said, mama, don't go. You're an alcoholic. That blew me away. As soon as she said it, I knew it was true. Now that people had never said it before or still to this day blows my mind since I said I was a daily drinker. I drank like a fish, but obviously I must have had a, a, a steel something, anatomy and what have you, but nobody ever told me I had a problem. And uh, somebody should have said something a long time before that. But when she said it, I knew it was true. And it completely tore me down. Um, and I knew I was going to have to get some help. So the next day, because that day, of course, I did not stop. I did what any self-righteous alcoholic would do. I went out and I drank some more. And I drank until they threw me out of my last bar, which was at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. The bars don't close until some ungodly hour like that in New York. And uh, I went looking for a detox program the next day. And I found one a few blocks from where I lived. And I went the, met the person who became my sponsor. 
he was telling me all of the, the thing about the cycle of alcoholism and drug addiction, had signs all over the walls, all the slogans for A were everywhere. And he was, you know, very clean cut, the, the squarest looking black man I had ever seen in my life. I knew he couldn't possibly understand a deep sense of artiste such as I was. Because I was so deep. I was so full of shit. That's what I was. And he kept talking and talking and talking and talking. Finally got sick of me not listening. And he undid his shirt and his jacket and he took off his shirt sleeve and he had tracks all up his arm into his neck. He had been sober and clean for eight and a half years. I knew that he was God. I knew he was the reincarnation of Jesus, Buddha, and Allah. And I said to him, you know, you're the squarest looking sucker I've ever seen in my life. But whatever you got, I need it. I want it. I'm going with you wherever. He said, oh, good. We're going to go to the AA meeting. I said, oh, no, we will not. <laughs> no, 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 no. You see, during those days, um, there were a couple of popular movies. I think it was one that was uh, Days of Wine and Roses and I'll Cry Tomorrow. Anyway, all and I knew I did not want to be Donna Reed and Stuck Technical. I was not going to go to any AA meeting at all. That was out of the question. He said, good. Well, you can get out. And if you get back, we'll be here. That pissed me off so much. You see, I know most of you had some kind of deep uh, uh, discovery and you came here for some, you know, real righteous reasons. I didn't. I was so pissed off. I said, you know what? You square looking altar boy. I'm going to stay here until I got one day more clean time than you. My sobriety date is November 19th, 1970. He still has eight and a half years more clean time than me. And he's still my sponsor. He's tried to put me off on every woman in the meeting, in the meetings for years. And I tried, but it doesn't work. I've gotten kind of spoiled by his way of working the program. He believes in the working the steps, not only on alcoholism and addiction, but he believes on working them on everything. Because I, as I say, I can't speak for anybody but me. I realized as soon as I stopped drinking, that was not my only problem. I had a whole bunch of problems, you know, not to mention the guilt and the shame of what I had done to my daughters, which almost killed me when I first saw it up. Um, one of the first things he told me was, don't apologize to my daughters. Just do the right thing. And I'm glad he said that, you know. Um, it didn't work for other people because I immediately saw the steps and I wanted to uh, apologize to some other people I had jacked up, like a good friend of my grandmother's who I had drunk at a house and host. She probably is an alcoholic herself, but that's beside the point. And I had drunk her, drunk everything I could get in her house for many, many times. So as soon, I mean, I'd only be sober for a couple of days. Uh, of course, I get this baseball bat sobriety, right? Go to her house and I say, you know, I'm so sorry what I did, but I'm a cleaned up alcohol and dope fiend and blah, blah, blah. She says, I'm so glad you sobered up and I'm so glad you stopped drinking and drugging. Now get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> Here I am burning my soul. How could she do this? And he started laughing at me. He said, I told you, you know, you do these things one step at a time and you haven't even finished working the first step. I'm very grateful. Uh, I'm, like, I'm not trying to contradict my friend who spoke before me, but Henry did not believe in working the steps fast. Uh, he believed in really working the steps slowly and completely and thoroughly. And because I was such not only a con artist, um, I was a manipulator. He would turn them inside out. And in those days, they didn't have these like these little things you have now with the little columns. They didn't have that. 
And he knew me because I was a writer. If I had written it, I'd have written a book on it. It would be a very convincing book on how sober sobriety was working for me and blah, blah. And it would have been a bunch of bullshit. So he would make me talk into a tape recorder and play it back. We'd play it back and then we'd tear it apart. And then he'd make me write it down. He'd tear it apart. And he, every excuse I could find to manipulate my way out of it, he would find the thing to stop me from doing it. Because I say I was a con artist. He told me in the beginning because I was not uh, a periodic. And for that, I'm grateful to this day because I can't lie to myself and say I can take a drink because that's not how I did it. But he knew the, my pattern. I told him about it, you know, and and he says, you know, I don't think you could stay sober a day at a time. I don't think you could stay sober an hour at a time. I'm going to give you the secret that will keep you sober for the rest of your life. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, what is it? says, don't drink anything or take anything right now. That's all you got is right now. Oh, please. What am I going to do after I get out of your face? He says, don't drink anything right now. Don't take anything right now. Don't sniff anything right now. Don't shoot anything right now. Anything that alters your mind, do not do it right now. Make every second you're alive right now. And if you do that, you never have to drink again. So I said my sobriety date is a long time ago. And right now, I don't take anything. I don't drink anything. I get high on you guys. I get high on music. I get high on poetry. We play games with this thing, a lot of us. We play games. I hear people talking all the time about how hard it is to get sober. Stop bullshitting. He made me write a chart on all the stuff that I had to do to maintain my alcoholism, my addiction to alcohol, which I call slavery, volunteer slavery. You know, and as a black person, we always talk about how good it is not to be enslaved shit. I volunteered myself into slavery for all those years. And uh, it was pretty sick. I did everything and anything. I'm not going into details because a lot of people have done the same things that I did. So you all know the story. I, as I said, I was not a social person. I was a bar drinker, not because I liked the company and not because I was lonely. I was a bar drinker because in the bar, if you're there for more than an hour, everybody starts looking good. Godzilla or Godzilla's grandma is going to slide up next to you and buy you all the drinks. You know the payment, so we don't need to go into that bullshit. Um, I did everything and everything, anything to stay loaded including having my daughter play my mama and take care of herself, me, and my younger daughter. Um, it's not a pretty picture. Um, as I said, my kids never saw me drink, but they knew. You know, um, and it hurts to this day. I still walk around with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. I heard one person say at a meeting that that's one of the things we have to get rid of. But I can't get rid of it, and I'm not going to get rid of it. And he made me say, my sponsor made me say, talk about it at meetings because you're not the only one at these meetings who's done the exact same thing that you did. And they need to hear it because until we deal with it, we got a problem. That's as dangerous as our drinking. So I'm saying it because... I still have the guilt and the shame, but I carry it with you. I throw it out on you. I don't carry it by myself. In these steps that we take, it says, we discovered that we were alcoholics. It didn't say I discovered I was an alcoholic. A lot of us suffer from this. Don't call me. I don't care. Boom. You know, we 
do this together. That's how this program works. We do it together. It's a we program. It's not a me program or I program. And so I put it out there because if any of you did the same thing, get healed, keep coming. Changes will happen in you. And because of the changes that happen in me, changes happen with my daughter. Although I have to admit, you see, when I stopped drinking, my oldest daughter was so sick of my stuff and what have you, she eventually took my place. Uh, a few years ago, this disease took her out. This disease is serious. I thought when I sobered up that I was the only one in my family, but like my kids never saw me drink. I never saw my parents drink or any of her, their friends drink. I found out everybody in my family on both sides, with very few exceptions, are sober. I mean, are not sober, are, are, are drunks and dope fiends and very quiet, well-mannered. We're all, you know, with the exception of two, my youngest, my oldest daughter, who I just mentioned, and another one of my uh, uh, siblings, uh, my one of my grandsons. Everybody in my family are very quiet, sophisticated, soft-spoken, well-mannered, drunks and dope fiends. I'm not the only one in the family. I really believe in my family that's biological. And I still believe that with me because even after all these years, you see, in New York, you got to be, for me to find a bottle of rum, I got to go out of my way. In California, it's everywhere. It's in the grocery store, it's in the drug store, it's in the candy store, it's everywhere. I can't buy a bottle of water in the safe without walking through 20 bottles of alcohol and they're all singing, Avacha, Avacha. I'm not playing games with this crap. This is a serious disease. It's a life-threatening disease and it's not gonna go away. And I accept that. So that's that first step. If you don't take any other step, do yourself a favor, take that first step every single day. Every single day, take that first step. Don't forget. I was told in the beginning, it's very dangerous to forget to remember. Don't forget. Don't play games with this thing. We can play games and I hear people talk about they can want to drink as a normal. I don't want to, I don't, I still don't, I don't understand why I did it because I don't like the taste. I didn't like what it made me, but I did it. I did it. So I really, you know, you guys who, who suffer because you miss the, the camaraderie, I, I'm grateful that that doesn't happen for me. It turned me into this, from this little quiet wimp that I was into becoming this gangster, this thugette, I became a very dangerous human being, uh, not for the, just the drinking, but I was a dangerous human being. I did all the scandalous stuff you could do as a, as a gangster. Uh, and, um, and then I stopped drinking. And then all of a sudden, there was this quiet nerve. I didn't know who the fuck I was, excuse my language. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what to do with her. I was still this nerd, this shy, you know, uh, person, and I didn't know what to do with her. And you helped show me what to do with her. Uh, unlike a lot of people, I, you'll never hear me say I am a recovered alcoholic or a recovered dope fiend, because that is not the case. I still got a lot of work to do. I work really hard on being scandalous. And I'm going to need three more lifetimes. I may make it. People make jokes. I said, when I came here, I was about 16, 17 sandwiches short of a picnic. And now I'm about 15 and a half sandwiches short of a picnic. I still got a lot of work to do. And I'm not afraid to admit it or ashamed to admit it. 
This is a long process. I believe in making it easy on the newcomers. So I'm not going to tell you how many steps you need to work. What Henry told me when I first came in, he said, the step you need to worry about is the step that gets you into the program. Shut up and listen. Everything. You will learn everything you need to know about how to get sober, how to stay sober, and what not to do if you want to stay sober. Nobody comes here because somebody said, oh, we got to go to these Amy's. It's the biggest party in town. No, 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 no. We come here because we're hurting and we're tore from the floor up and we need some help. Then when you understand what is going on, do yourself a favor. Go to some newcomer meetings if you're a newcomer. Do yourself a favor. Get as many phone numbers as you can and use them. Talk to people. Go to many meetings as you need. As long as, long as I've been sober, this time of year is very rough for me because tis the season to be loaded. A few days ago, I went to four meetings. Four meetings, 52 years sober. I went to four meetings because I needed it that day. Because I had gone to the Safeway to buy my water and there were all those bottles of alcohol of vodka. You know, oh, no, 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 no. I'm serious about this. I can't be that person that my daughter saw. You see, I saw her be taken out by this one. Two of my dearest friends, one had 20 years, one had 30 years taken out by this disease. You can fool, you can fool me. You can fool us. But you can't fool yourself. If you got a problem, you're in the right place. Please do yourself a favor and stay. Because, you know, you not only destroy yourself and your family and your friends and what have you. Some of us get addicted to having you in a place. Because I think we're more habit forming than any drug or alcohol that you ever went into. And we get attached to you and you go out there, it breaks hearts, our hearts as well. And I do hope you find a reason to stay. I don't know if I said anything to make any sense for anybody, but go to newcomer meetings. Get yourself a copy of Living Sober. It's a miracle book for newcomers. My sponsors say that's the best thing going, you know. And please stay. Please listen. And somehow or another, this miracle that happens, it will happen to you. I don't care if you're Christian, Jewish, atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, uh, Muslim, whatever. This program works. It works. Power bigger than yourself. I never had a uh, problem admitting that alcohol was a problem bigger than me uh, and also a, a power bigger than me as well. If you can admit that, maybe the group can be your higher power. Whatever it is, just admit that you are not it. And you need something that knows more than you that can help you get sober and clean and stay sober and clean. My name is Avacha. I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, a retired thugette, and I am here, and I'm stuck here, and everything you heard me say is because of you. You turned me into who you heard today. Thank you for listening to my words. I hope I made some kind of sense, and with that, I'm going to shut up. I think that I, that I, oh, I still have more time. Okay, more time. I would, let me, since I have some more time, one of the things I would say for people who got some time, one of the things that I noticed that happens with some of us, especially old timers, our behinds move up on our shoulders. And we forget, you know, when we come into the meeting, we go into meetings once a day and every day and sometimes twice a day and, you know, and talking all the right stuff. And then after a while, we go to one meeting a week and then it's one meeting every couple of weeks and then it's one meeting a month. And that's what happened to me until my daughter died from this disease. And it was not pretty. I held her hand for the last eight hours of her life. Um, and two of my friends got taken out by this disease. When that happened, 
it blew my mind and I started coming back to meetings like a newcomer. And folks tell me they can see the difference in me in meetings. Uh, this program is not just about putting the plug in the jug and staying sober. It's about growing into a better human being. Um, another thing I want to say is like another thing I talked about baseball bat uh, sobriety, baseball bat, bat theology is really harmful to newcomers. More newcomers get chased away by baseball bat theology. If your higher power is working for you, good. My higher power works really good for me. That does not mean I need to beat some newcomer over the head with it. I want newcomers to feel good coming in here and feel safe coming in here. Your higher power may not be the same as mine. Your higher power may not be a conventional higher power. But as long as you can admit there's a power greater than you and it can help you stay sober, you got, you're on the right road. Because obviously you don't have the right answer. If you did have the answer, you wouldn't be here. If I had the answer, I would have never been here in the first place and I sure as hell wouldn't have stayed. So I think, you know, some of us need to come off of our, 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 our pedestal and realize that stop chasing newcomers away. If your God works for you or your higher power works for you, that's a good thing. It doesn't mean you have to beat a newcomer over the head. They're having a hard enough time getting in the meetings than staying in the meetings. That's my personal view. The other thing is... Uh, you know, this uh, thing about having to save the universe. When I when I first got sober, oh, God, I had that real bad. I'm going to save the universe. So what did I do? I'm from New York, as I said, and I don't know if any of you have been unlucky enough to ever see a shooting gallery. But, I mean, they have walls that are this thick and locks on the doors. And, you know, it's like trying to break into the, 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 uh, the federal bank or something. And I went to the shooting gallery so I could save all my friends that I hadn't seen in years from alcohol and drugs. Ooh, they took all that stuff off and opened the door and on the floor was a guy who we all knew was gonna be the next Roberto Clemente or Jackie Robinson. He was on his knees in front of this guy's. And I don't know if you know what the, the cotton man is. The cotton is the lowest part of addiction that you can get on. It's the cotton that they draw the, the drugs through. And that person was begging, begging for the cotton, which means on his knees in front of this guy. And you know what he probably had done to get that cotton. And as soon as I saw that, I said, oh, my God. He said, I told you, you got to change your playmates and you got to change your playground, save your own behind because it's the only one you got. There are no behind transplants in this program, he told me. Save your behind. Be the example, as uh, my friend said earlier. The example is what pulls people in here. Not my mouth. The example. Not my beating them over the head with how wonderful I am because I got sober. The example, just me being sober. Because I was a sleazy lady. I was out to lunch. Is it all that they need? Just seeing that a person can actually stay sober. Like I saw somebody eight and a half years. I didn't know anybody who had ever stayed sober for eight days, much as eight and a half years. It got me sober. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, instead of proselytizing and beating people over the head with our sobriety, that, that they talk about the humility that we're supposed to find in this program. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. And if we really work the program, we will get some of that humility. And that humility will attract people along with our sobriety. And I think that's, for me, what, what the program is based on, the humility, 
the, the, the knowledge that we're not doing this by ourselves, that it's a we thing, that we hold it up, you hold each other up and don't get sick and go to the hospital. Oh my God. Let me tell you, I wound up a few years ago in the hospital. I was there for a month. I had two operations in two days and I was in the hospital for a month over at Mount Zion in San Francisco. They told me, please, would you stop your friends from coming here? There are too many people coming to the hospital to visit me. Because as I say, it's a we thing. We do it together. And you wind up in a hospital and everybody and their mama and daddy in the program is going to be there to visit you. They were braiding my hair, you know, and, and oh, okay, braiding my hair. I got to three minutes, braiding my hair, taking care of me and what, trying to cheer me up, bringing meetings up into the hospital. That's how the program works. And it works if we work it. I try my best to work it. I'm here this evening. I'm grateful to be here. And I want to thank you for listening to my words. I'm going to shut up and uh, thank you again. I hope I said something. And with that, I shut up. Thank you.